RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. It's Monday morning. It is the Monday morning after the Saturday, which was eh, election day. So let's have a post-election day panel. I want to welcome into our panel Muriel Newman. Morning, Muriel. Hi. Thanks for Good coming morning. on. Good morning. Morris Williamson is back. Hi, Morris. Good morning. And Cam Slater has returned as well from the north. Nice to have you guys in this morning. Good morning. How are we feeling? Who wants to start? Well, you're the boss. You tell us. Okay. Morris, how are you feeling this morning? Um, well, I wouldn't say ecstatic because ecstatic means you've got a guaranteed majority and you can get on and govern without having to worry. Uh, National Plus Act don't have that. They have that paper-thin one seat. And remember when specials come in, it is normally always National loses a seat. Greens often pick up one, but it could even be as much as two. There's 576,000 specials yet to come in. It's 20%, 20% of the vote. 20% of the vote to come in. Now, if they follow how the vote went on the day, then no problem, it doesn't make a change. But if they do what they've done in every other, I've tracked about five elections now, the left seem to have a better mechanism, especially for the overseas votes. The Greens have a good network of, I don't know whether it's Facebook or whatever, and they also seem to be able to get their people out around the country to do specials. So I think that National could even drop one uh, more. New Zealand First is likely to drop one more because oh, they were at the very bottom of the St. Larg table, which means their number is the lowest next to go. You might end up with a 59, um, you know, New Zealand, uh, National Plus Act or a 59 National Plus. Well, it, look, it's hard to say, but I don't believe the 61 that's sitting there at present for National Plus Act will necessarily survive this. No, I agree with that, Morris. Um, you know, traditionally that's been the case. I'm not sure that's going to be the case this time. There's a lot of people offshore who were prevented coming back to New Zealand who are bitter and angry, and who knows where those votes will go. They may go to National uh, I suspect they won't uh, because a lot of them see National as being complicit in all of the COVID stuff. Um, the angry vote may go to Winston, but this is why I think we're going to have to wait till the 3rd of November till we get those numbers in before we can actually uh, start saying, well, we're gonna have, we've got to change a government. That's absolutely certain. What that I looks like is up in the air and you know everyone's going to roll their eyes and they're going to say oh god here we go again but you know that's the system we've got we've had two goes at selecting the electoral system so no use moaning about if we had stv or if we had this we we don't we've got mmp so that's what we're stuck with we do need to wait for the specials to come in that'll give us the lay of the land but i agree with morris i don't think i think it's rather presumptuous of christopher luxon to claim that hit, that national and act are going to be able to form a government that's standalone you know we've still got uh port waikato outstanding so that's going to bring it to 122 uh, out of you know we've got 121 at the moment so we're going to have 122 if the maori party pick up another seat then there'll be an overhang and you're looking at 123 and 61 out of 123 is not enough let, let me just give Christopher Luxon a bit of uh, spare room there. He did say on the current numbers, we don't need another partner. Mm. But I, mm. he understands very well that those numbers will move around a bit. Muriel, did the chips fall about where you thought they would? Well, I think we were really just hoping that there would be a change. And I think that the overwhelming feeling that most New Zealanders probably have is one of relief. You know, thank God the worst government in our history is gone. And um, and what comes next, you know, surely cannot be that bad. It was interesting, you know, I, I was listening to somebody talking about, you know, the need for a four-year term of government. And I have thought right from the start of this last three years that, you know, this is the best argument against a four-year term yeah. of government <laughs> that you could ever have, unless there are other safeguards in there, you know, like um, the ability to, I don't know, have a recall for another election or, or something. But um, to think that we'd have another year of that would just be a disaster. So I'm uh, just really, really relieved 
um, that we've got to change and that we can look forward to a future of, you know, things like less tax and less regulation and more freedom and an end to all this blinking racial division. You know, I, I think there's a lot of things that we're all hoping for. Are we going to get it, though? No, I mean, we're not. really much of a change at all, yes, really. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Well, uh, we're going to get tem- some. It's temporary, Morris, because... The Maori Party has been emboldened with their racism and their separatism and their looter mentality. They've got an extra two seats at the moment, may end up with an extra three. They're seeing that as a vindication of, you know, clearly within the Maori seats, there's an element that that their particular firebrand uh, of separatism uh, has has an audience. Luckily, yeah, that, that would have some validity, except that they're they, in opposition. They Labor sure. lost, Labor lost those seats, and Labor lost a hell of a lot of other seats to the non-Maori party. Yeah, but so the Labor Party's like, like Rust. It's like Rust. Labor they never sleep. They'll come back and they'll try it again. This is why I think there's some merit in having uh, that the referendum uh, that ACT is proposing, because that will will have a vote, and that's the end of it. But um, if if we just don't do anything and just hope that we'll just you know it, keep the status quo in place and make some some changes around the edges, Labor will come back and they'll shove that in our face again, and uh, that's got to be opposed vociferously. And if it, if that's the referendum, you know James Shaw is now scaremongering everybody by saying there, there'll be violence if there's a um, if there's a referendum on co-governance. Well, really? Australia's that's what he said. It's on, yeah. it's on the front page of stuff. So, you know, Australia's just had a vote on that and they didn't have any violence. So why would we have violence if we have a referendum here? Well, and- well let, let me give you a live case at the Auckland Council. We're currently considering whether we go to Maori wards. And I've said I won't vote for Maori wards ever, but I would be prepared for it to go to a referendum. Now, the left on the council said no way can it ever go to referendum because it'll just bring all the racists out of their buildings and it'll be a ghastly debate. And that is how they view the general voting population. Now, you just can't do that. The general population vote, and if they vote yes, then you've got to accept it. And if they vote no, you live with that as well. And Albanese is suffering from that. Right at the moment. Paul, I want to pick one thing back up about Labour being the worst government ever. And okay. it's in your own words. Uh, when Hipkins became the Prime Minister in March, he said, I've got to have at least two major bonfires where I'm going to chuck a whole lot of our existing policies on them because they've been failings and have gone wrong. And he, he chucked mountains of their existing policy on the bonfires. But then he kept a few, like he kept light rail down Dominion Road. Now, that's Michael Wood's electorate. The light rail was then a go on to the uh, Mangere, uh Airport, which is Michael Wood's company, because I understand he's got shares in the company. Right. And all I can tell you is, how did that work for them? How did the people of Mount Roskill respond to, we're going to get light rail down Dominion Road to us? They lost them. He got chucked so badly out. So it's Labor's own, it's their own words I mean, what about Chris Hipkins on on election night where he stood there and said, we've done some amazing things, we've built 13,000 homes. No one said, well, where's the other uh, 80, 87,000, <laughs> right, right, that you promised to build? It was like, well, let's, 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 let's just keep that quiet. It was like watching the special kid coming in last in the cross country at school and everyone cheering, and he's only and he's half an hour behind everybody else. That's what it was like watching. I mean, honestly, it was dreadful. I tell you, the interesting thing from the group, the um, coverage that we were watching was the most exciting bit was the fact that Chris Hipkins thanked Tony. Who's Tony? Who's Who's Tony? Tony? Yeah. That's his new partner, of course, and um, and that, that got everyone really excited. Um, did, you did, did have to Tony. feel sorry. You know, I, I know that we all think he's done a terrible job, but I think you do have to feel sorry um, for somebody who's put their heart and soul for, into I something. I don't. No, I don't. No, I, don't. I know I don't. you don't. Go away, don't disappear, yeah. don't come back. Let's sorry. have a look at some of the metrics, right, and the things that Christopher Hip- Chris Hipkins was responsible for. So we've got rampant out of control crime who was the police minister for most of the six years Christopher hipkins 
we've got an education no, he wasn't system. police minister for most of the years no 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 he was police minister though only for very a year recently of, right? only for a year of it yeah we, we, we're apportioning blame don't be feared morris <laughs> po, right. po to William out as bad as we can. We, we, we're, we're kicking the corpse while it's down, which is which is traditional. If you look at education, he was the education minister for a good chunk, and look well, at the look at the hopeless. stats in there, hopeless there. He was the COVID minister, and so he was Jacinda Ardern's little helper, uh, and he dressed up in the jackboots just as much as she did, and stomped all over our rights. So, you know, if they get cleaned out in the way they have, good job. Yeah. They wouldn't exempt the kids, okay? No. No, that's right. I want to give give you a little true story. Because I've got a computer programming background and I write software, when I was in the States and I saw how they were running MIQ and I knew I was going to face it, although uh, a, a diplomat would be given a space, as it turned out, we were given spaces. But I wanted to get kids in that home as well. I had a look at this. The first one was just random. My wife sat on the iPad all day, keeping pressing refresh, refresh to see if we could get an MIQ. And she sat at work with her computer sitting there and her iPad sitting there and just keeping. Re- so there were millions of man hours wasted. Then we went to this godforsaken lottery, which was the most bizarre. You could be coming into it for the first time ever, wanting to go to Fiji for a week's holiday, and you might win. But a family living in Britain for nine months who had tried every lottery card. So I wrote a program which which is just a basic queuing process. And you have a database, and people get put into the database, and then they gradually bubble to the top based on how long they've been in. And you can put some embellishments. For example, I thought those that were overseas when COVID hit uh, should get twice as many points as those that were here wanting to leave and then come back so that we were going to get Kiwis getting back home and that you could put extra big bu- uh, bucket of points for someone who's got a, a sick relative. And you would know then because you'd be able to look at how long the wait queue was, how many days before my points get to that, I'll be ready to come home in three weeks from now. It would be, and you see it on the screen, it would be transparent, it would be free. So I wrote the software. I got the database up. I, I spent some time with Sir Ian Taylor uh, from Animation Research and Dunedin talking about how it would work. And then I wrote off with a sample copy and prepared to go to Wellington to both Jacinda Ardern, to Chris Hipkins, and to Grant Robertson. And I said, look, this would be a, a, a saviour for you in the MIQ because everyone would know they were taking their place along with everybody else and uh, waiting their turn and seeing when time came up. And you wouldn't have to even go back to the screen for a few weeks and then you say, I know we'll be up in three weeks from tomorrow, likely to be our slot coming through. They just wrote back with the most unbelievable official bureaucrat. Uh, you know, we don't believe there is a better way of doing it, and we don't believe that your system. And then Hipkins badmouthed publicly, said, oh, the trouble with Morris Williamson's system is it's a points-based system, and I can tell you in immigration, to get all the points sorted out for a person can take up to a year. So that's why they don't work. Well, there was only one point in my system, and that is the date you joined. And that's done automatically when you log in and put your first application and you know more points to collect with immigration you've got to collect their police status and their employment status and the education from various institutions so i wrote back and i said that's just offensive you said oh it's a point system it would work straight away and ian taylor and then the uh, guy from the it section at auckland university came out and said what williamson's proposing makes common sense and should be and they just chucked it out, wouldn't even look at it. I said, you can have a copy of the software free and you can put whatever <laughs> embellishments you like. Now, that's how they treated the public. We you see, that's cruel. How can how can you be that deliberately cruel? Yeah. And, and, and what did Hipkins say on Thursday before the election? Oh, you know, um, if I had my time again, I would have done MIQ differently. Yeah. You know, talk about gaslighting us all. And that pissed have... me off so much because I put it to him and he just said no. See, this is that, that's a classic. And remember, no one was forced, of, Cam. Remember, no one was forced as well. He said that. <laughs> that's right. I mean, this is the thing, right? The, the these guys had this undying belief that their way was the only way they know best. to do anything. They know best. We, we and they'd look down their nose at absolutely everything. Is that bu- bureaucracy capture though at work there? Is it or I think they're incompetent. 
No, no, I think in the case of the, the computer system that I was showing them that could be up and running within a week, would be a login on the internet, and everyone that was wanting to get MIQ spot would do it. And as it was, we had a DJ given three return entries into the country. We had the Bangladesh cricket team get two full slots in here. And, and the Wiggles. And the Wiggles. And, and the Wiggles, <laughs> but there's lots more. A British comedian, uh, what's his name, came in twice. Uh, and yet there were poor buggers out there. I, I had them in the States coming to me and saying, you know, what, how the hell do we get home? Well, they're running out of money everywhere. Oh, oh. Well, of course, and then the, what really got up my nose, the lady who was running it at, at MB, she called me up and she said, I don't know why you're making such a fuss. There's some slots available tomorrow. And I went and had a look and there was. They'd come up that day. They were free tomorrow. You imagine if you're working with a wife and kids in London and a flat and a car and you suddenly get told you could leave tomorrow. <laughs> you just can't do that. You know, you've got to get rid of the flat, you've got to sell the car, you've got to get the furniture moved or whatever uh, and leave your job or skid no- it, it, It's the commissar mentality. Yeah. I mean, that's what it really is. It's a whole bunch of commissars. Yep. Telling telling us how to live our lives, and we've just got rid of them. And, and it was unnecessary, as it and turns out. And I hope out, it's for a good long history. time. It, it turned out it really didn't make too much of a difference anyway. But anyway, mm. okay. So what a um, Cam, you were at uh, Russell um, with the New Zealand First People. Yeah. What was that like last night? Because there would have been a lot of expectation. <laughs> how did that go? Yeah, it was pretty good at the start. Uh, then the the you know those big numbers came in from the early voting, and you know looked like New Zealand First was just a bit over five percent. But it progressively got better through the night. Um, they're fairly philosophical about it. They they you know it was funny because you know at one stage they had eight MPs, then it went down to seven, then it went back up to eight, and it's fairly locked in at eight now. Um, so, you know, they were sitting there thinking, you know, I spoke to Tanya Ankovic. Um, she was, she's a new MP uh, at at number eight on the list. Um, I spoke to Shane Jones. I spoke to Winston. Uh, I went back to Winston's place afterwards just to, to see what his thinking was at. And he was really relaxed about everything. You know, he turned off his phones. He said, I'm not taking any phone calls. Um, they were sitting there watching the the uh, the numbers roll roll in uh, right till about you know um, half past twelve one o'clock in the morning, and um, he seemed fairly satisfied that they were back. Um, he said to me uh, in my interview, which I'm not sure that's up yet, but he said to me that whether they're in government or not in government, he will prosecute an inquiry into the COVID stuff, uh, come what may. He he's absolutely adamant that that has to be done. And he said, if I'm not in government, well, I'll just use parliamentary question time and I'll just answer every time we hit question time, it'll be questions about that and the ministers will have to answer. And those ministers are going to have to go and get the information out of the archives from the Labour time to get all of that. But he says he's going to do it. And I believe him. There was a real steel in his uh, in his voice when he said that. And, of course, reluctantly, those ministers will answer all of those questions with all the <laughs> material that they can find. <laughs> you, know, you know, if I was like if I was like but I mean, if I was Chris Luxon, I'd sit there and think, right, how can we use Winston to destroy the Labour Party? And giving him an inquiry into that would allow him, because imagine that, you have an inquiry and you start calling in the ministers, you start calling in Bloomfield, you start calling in all the all the various, you call in the media into it as well. Why did you do this? Did you have any evidence of this? Can you imagine how damaging that would be to the Labour Party if you did that for months and months and months on end? And as the truth came out, their support would drop and drop and drop. and it would But I think you'll them. find that as a result of this election result, they'll be pretty much wiped out, what, do you reckon, two two terms before they're back? Um, oh, no, I think they've got a three-term on them. I think yeah. you won't see them back in nine. The, three, the three knives term- will be out between them all. Yeah. Well, they've, they've lost so much of their whole sort of core of what they were and, and there's nothing. I mean, how do they come back? They're going to be forced to almost retreat to the hardline left 
to try and mm. pick up some remnants. What do you mean uh, retreat to it? They're already there. No, they're nowhere near as what they... I mean, the wealth tax and the, the capital gains tax is where they'll head for. Um, and that, oh, that'll that, be successful. <laughs> yeah, it'll be about as successful as light rail down Dominion Road. <laughs> Paul, Paul, you mean, you know, we were talking earlier about the Maori seats and one observation that we've had is that the Maori seats are now being radicalised, yeah. you know, worse than anything that we've ever seen in New Zealand's history. And if you think back over the last three years in particular, you know, the what's gone on with co-governance, the fact that it was a secret agenda, um, the fact that it was hidden as much as possible so most people had no idea what was going on until, you know, right at the end when it stared them in the face, I think that you could call it a coup. You know, a lot of people have named it, it a tribal coup. Yeah. And my thinking is that New Zealand has to protect democracy. I mean, you've got the Labour, one of the co-leaders of the Māori Party saying they don't believe in democracy. Presumably that is going to be the ethic of the party itself. It's stronger now. And I think that if we don't get rid of the Māori seats, if we don't have a referendum on the Māori seats in this term of parliament, I think the country will be in dire straits in the future. It's a real threat to our democracy. And we've been thinking that, you know, we wonder whether, in fact, Morris, you know, given that local body elections are next year, and this should apply to local body seats as well, you know, a referendum a year out from the local body election would actually make sense. And we do it for the whole country, get rid of the Maori seats or keep the Maori seats, what do you reckon, and oh, have a nationwide referendum? I'm with you 100%. What, mm. Paul, what, what I don't like about the, the Maori issue in particular is it's just so one-sided. And let me give you an example. Maori Party put up on their website that Maori genes were superior. Yes. Okay. Their genetics were superior to that of other races. Okay. You imagine if we put up on my website that white genes are superior to anybody. Mm. You'd be run out of town and rightly so. Yeah. But they can say it and no one touches them. Marima Davidson can come on TV and say, I'll tell you who causes, now remember these words, all the violence in the world, not 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 some of it or main, all the violence in the world, it's white cis males. And then I watch TV week after week of a guy in Kaikaui murdering the old lady and he was a Maori and then this guy was a Maori and then this guy was, and this guy's off to jail and he's a Maori name. And I thought, how did she get away with that? How does anyone not say to her, that is the most racist thing going, but you're well, too scared to say then, it? Then you come back to the media, the mainstream Correct. media, and the terrible job they've done over the last three years in particular, probably over the last six years, but it's been so obvious in these last three years. It, Shocking. It could be as equally dangerous having that referendum or, or having people think about making that choice. That, that's no. um, it's a tough no, thing to weigh up, isn't common it? Common sense prevails. I think Australia's just showing us that yesterday. But are we more ginned up than they are? No. In race tension. Well, I think I think the vast bulk of New Zealanders, the people that I meet and know, and so on, are what I would call incredibly practical about race and that we can live together and no one should have special rights, shouldn't be special treatment for one group over another. Winston made a great comment in one of the debates. If he went to an ED department and he was sitting there waiting next to a very poor white lady from Clendon in South Auckland, why should he get priority? Because he's a Maori. And that's what people don't like. They do not like the special treatment or your prioritised... I understand why you want to target assistance to people at the bottom end of the socioeconomic, but that should be if they're white, Asian. Ba basis of, of need, not Correct. race. I mean, Correct. this is the thing. Why should we all be categorised on the basis of our blinking race? Correct. It is so ridiculous. But this is not just happening Very here. offensive. This is happening what? all over. This, this, this race issue is not just New Zealand. It's a kind of um, repeated pattern in other places too. Yeah, so but the thing one. is, we've got a particular problem in that we've now got a party in parliament that wants to undermine democracy itself. They got there by democracy, they want to undermine it. And we've got to say, as a public, 
we've got to say we can't have that. You know, we've got to strengthen democracy, not undermine it. And if these Maori seats, which should have gone years and years ago, probably 100 years ago, and that's what the Royal Commission on the Electoral System said, if you bring in MMP, you must get rid of the Maori seats, otherwise you'll get an over-representation in Parliament. I think this new Parliament's got, what is it, 25% Maori? And, you know, there's well, 17... Well, let, let, let me pick you up on that. What is a Maori? Well, this is the problem. It's ridiculous. Does David Seymour, <laughs> does David Seymour qualify for special treatment at the ED department that I don't get? Well, don't he calls Christa. himself a Maori. Well, even <laughs> if you, you might feel like one, and you're no, not. No, but one, please, please, please listen. They mm. published statistics the other day about sixty-eight percent of Maori don't pass NCEA two. How do they know that? What is a Maori? Mm. It's I mean, probably self-identification. That's a good point. It's a good it'll, point. Be self -identifi it'll be self-identification the same as what is a woman. Well, I think it's already for some is, yeah. But that, that's ridiculous. That, there are some people, I think Debbie Narewa Packer was on, uh, you know, a bit of a This Is Your Life, and her mum, I think, was Irish, and her father was half something Scottish, and, and then could be another half back. So Debbie Narewa Packer's got a lot more white genes flowing through her than she has Maori, but she identifies but, as but, I am Maori. And but they're weaker, they're weaker genes, Morris. No, 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 <laughs> but I tell you, my wife had a great line for this. She said, you know what, if there is any sort of a compensation to Māori that one day we've got to do the right thing and make some compensation, you've got to be very careful about this because if you're more than 50% non-Māori, what you're paying out will be a lot less than you're getting back by way of the settlement <laughs> if it's all done on a pro-rate basis. So I just, I'm, and I'm not being stupid here, I still cannot get a what is a Māori. I'd love yeah. to know. It, 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 it's not 50 because you say that and you get told, oh, that's just racist. Okay, it's not 50%. Is it 20? It is self-identification. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty well that. So are there? Is there the will to do what Muriel's suggesting? No. Christopher Luxon won't do that. Not Winston a, would. Winston would in a heartbeat. Yeah. And you'd get Shane Jones and Casey Costello and, to, to run it. Is that David, something that um, Christopher Luxon could usefully use Winston David Seymour for? says act will, so... Yeah, I, mean, I, I think other. that sometimes in politics and in parliament, things happen that obviously leading parties have got to respond to and prime ministers have to respond to. And I think it's often very helpful to have smaller parties that can take a lead on some of these things. I mean, you look back to 2008 when John Key had the Maori Party in Parliament with him, and he gave them that uh, constitutional review. And, you know, that was, they were trying to get the treaty into into a new constitution. I mean, that would have been a blinking disaster for New Zealand. But nevertheless, um, he agreed to it. And so sometimes, you know, um, prime ministers are forced into taking a, um, allowing smaller parties to take a lead on on some of these tough issues. So, so let me give, was, you, let me give you another live case of what John Key agreed with that Maori party. We Andrew. were putting the, the Auckland Council legislation through in 2010 to form the new super city, and Rodney Hyde did not want to have anything that was related to Maori it was just to be for the whole city and so on. And in the end, Peter Sharples and others said, look, you're going to get our vote. You're going to have to make sure that an independent Maori statutory board is formed, which was in the legislation in the end and went through parliament. And now on my committee, I have two IMSB members. Every time I've taken votes, I've often not only just won it with regards to the normal, and then I lose it because the IMSB. So they are unelected. You don't, even, you don't even know who they are. And somehow they've got just as much power as an elected councillor, and that's in the legislation giving them that power. And I just think that is so wrong. Don't forget it's too to that go. John Key, John Key, uh, put us into Undrip, mm. a, a sop to the Maori Party, which is which then spat out uh, Te Purpua mm. and caused all the problems that we've had for the last four years, while they have systematically implemented almost every recommendation of Hei Pua Pua. Mm. And that's the problem because Hei Pua Pua 
um, was, or sorry, UNDRIP was meant to be just symbolic. <laughs> Do you know why John Keats? <laughs> but I you get activist this. groups in there and they change anything into something that's yep. activist and, and quite divisive and bad for the country. I asked John Key why he signed that, and he says, because there's no Indigenous people in New Zealand, so we can sign it. And I said, are you that <laughs> stupid? Okay. <laughs> That's what Winston said. Winston no, was right. But no one's John, John Key, see, the thing is, people like John Key want to make a splash, and they want to get their name in headlights, and they want to do all of those sorts of things. But they don't actually think of the consequences on some of the actions that they go through, and they haven't worked out the politics of it. Well, I'd love any of your listeners uh, to this program to try to get in touch with me and tell me what is a Maori, because I still can't work it out. Incoming as we speak, The emails and the texts are coming in right now. (laughs) They publish statistics. They publish statistics of this many Maori don't have this or Maori. And I keep saying, what what is that? Is that 15% Maori blood? Is it 10% Maori blood? You, you've got people like, I think, Joe Luxton, an MP from the South Island. I've heard her speak and spoke. I didn't have any idea that she was Maori, but she's now found in her whakapapa way back there was Maoridom, and she has now absolutely got the bone around the neck and going for it. And I think, what is this? This is just... Well, that's an ego thing. Yeah, isn't I, that's I'll just tell you a, what it establishing is. a point of difference. And Sure, really. but, but I think the problem we've got is that we don't have a true fourth estate in New Zealand. You know, while we talk about... The, the problem with Maori seats or co-governance or the uh, overt racism of the Maori party, that's all fine and dandy, but no one ever calls them out in the media. No, no one no. ever says anything. So we actually have a media problem, and that's another reason why Chris DeValuxen should pick up the phone and give Winston Peters a call. Have How do you his- think the media, that's a good question, how do you think the media is going to treat now this new Well, I'll tell you, here's a good example. Here's a good example, right? This is what Tover O'Brien said yes uh, on election night, but trying saying straight-faced, hand on Bible, or sworn on the grave of a beloved dearly departed that you saw this coming and the country would collectively call BS, right? So there's the problem right there. Someone who has been a political correspondent in in the press gallery is sitting there saying, "Oh, we how did this happen? We never saw this happening." Come on. Well, hello. More than half the population of New Zealand saw it coming. How could you not see this coming? Right. So this is the problem. And then if you have a look at Thomas Cranmer's uh, yes, very account, he's very just dropped a whole lot of documents that shows the very deliberate policy of the Labour government to shovel millions of dollars, not just from the. Um, the Public Interest Journalism Fund. COVID advertising, right? But Yeah, advertising, government department advertising. And if Christopher Luxon was smart, what he'd do is call the heads of departments in, uh, that are, and, and ask for a line-by-line item of how much money they're pouring into the media companies. And that would have been a quid pro quo, sure. And then stop it right now and put it on hold for at least six months. To go under. Wa- and then watch them tip over. And <laughs> then we'll, that solves the problem with the media. Do you know the uh, Public Interest Journalism Fund carries on till January 2026? Yep. They uh, said that, you know, the last round of funding was back in June, I think it was, and that the fund after that was, you know, closed down. And a lot of people thought that meant the money stopped, but it doesn't. It goes went right through the election campaign and it goes right through to January 2026. And remember that it's tied to requirements like, you know, the media who take the fund have to promote the treaty partnership agenda. Yep. So they're not allowed to investigate it or interrogate it or anything else. Otherwise, there's clawbacks for their funding. And uh, I think it's shocking, and I actually think there should be an inquiry into the media um, over the election campaign because I I just don't think that the party's got a fair deal. They did not. Winston hardly got mentioned most of the time. Mm. Well, he only got mentioned in the last three weeks when the ACT Party ran their billboards and the Labour Party ran their attack ads and then Chris Bishop stupidly stood there and said, we might have another election, and I understand 
from good uh, National Party sources, and I'm pretty sure Morris will concur with this, Luxon was blindsided by that. He didn't even know it was coming and was livid when it was said. Mm. Just um, talking about campaigns, I really have to say that uh, Winston's campaign was fantastic. You know, from the moment he appeared on his horse, <laughs> um, I think he did a, a wonderful job. And who, who um, were the brains behind that? Well, campaign? I, I, I asked him that last night. I said, "Look, Winston, who came up with the horse idea?" And he said, "I did." I said, "Oh, come on!" I said, "Come on!" He says, "No." I was sitting there, and I think. I thought to myself, I need to show that I, I can, you know, I'm, I've got it still, and I nothing can do that by jumping on the back of a horse. And I said, yeah, but you missed a trick there, Winston. He says, what's that? And I said, um, well, I, I would have liked to have seen you do a Zorro thing where you pull the horse up and it goes up on its hind <laughs> legs and, you you know, you crack the, the whip and then you ride off. And he says, oh. And, and, then every, someone. And, and then everyone would have said I was riding off into the sunset. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, and what about the poem? Yeah, I didn't ask him about that one. Yeah. Um, what about the other um, campaigns? I, I didn't see too much of them because I didn't watch mainstream media. Was there anything Im impressive about the other parties' campaigns that stood out that anyone oh. noticed? I'll go with the opposite of impressive. I'll go with depressive. Mm. And that is the latest trend for nobody to ever answer a question. All right. It doesn't matter what you're asked, you'll give this big round arm swing and a big word salad. And uh, at the end of the day, the overall arching principles with regards to a helicopter view of the, and 10 minutes later, the answer's finished and you have no bloody idea. Was it a yes or a no? And that's just become endemic throughout the place. You know, why would you answer a question when you might get caught on it? Because then you have to justify it. And I'll give you an example for Christopher Luxon, but it's not it's not just him. It was the whole lot of them. But he was asked by uh, Ryan Bridge, your policy to index benefits to the CPI rather than to wage growth is estimated to uh, reduce the amount of spending in the welfare system by $2 billion. Is that right? And he said, uh, look, with regards to what the work we're doing with the ghost, the overall, and and, the, and and Brian Bridge said, no, I'm asking you, is it a $2 billion reduction? And he once again, three times. And then he said, are you just not going to answer the question? Now, here's a really good principle. If you're going to work on a bright, shiny policy and you think it's got real benefits to the country and it's going to do something spectacularly good, and you put it out for sale, be prepared to stand behind it and sell it and say, yes, we are, because we don't think people who are living on a benefit should be getting the rewards of the people in the workforce. And by the way, this will provide an incentive for them to migrate out of the welfare state and into the workforce. Bang. That sounded fine. <laughs> Can't say that. Because it could I would have, have bought that. Sue Bradford might get upset at that. So we'll, and it's Too just across the board. No, no, I'm not getting it, Chris Luxon. I'm getting it every one yeah, of them. I think you're right. It, it is was, across the board. They're, yeah. they're scared witless of taking a position on anything because it just it could offend, it could cause a problem. So I will just, you know, the well, word. It'll be twisted by the media, Morris, is what would happen. It'd be. Yeah, be twisted, but and a, a component of it will be reported out of context, and correct that will be embellished. And suddenly, yourself. it's this horrible thing that's happening, and how but, dare they? Yeah, but you know. we've been we've been conditioned with it, with you know, Jacinda Ardern. If you ever got a transcript of what she actually said, answering questions, mm. there wasn't any, there wasn't any uh, joined up thinking in any of it. It was just exactly what Morris says, word salad. And we all got used we've all got used to it. The media love it. Uh and it doesn't it it doesn't add anything. I mean, the last debate was an unedifying spectacle oh, that, sure. uh, that I can never get that hour back. And you know, I had to do it, Paul, because you know, we were reviewing it. So we we had to have someone here, yeah, thank yeah. you. So so you know, it, literally these days with these debates. It's all about the host of the debate, it, not about what the ideas are or a contest of ideas. Well, it's more like a game at. show, would it be fair to say? More like yeah. a game show. Well, I'd rather poke pins in my eyes than, than okay, watch, but, watch that nonsense. 
let, let me just pick back up on the one example I gave. That's the, the indexing benefits to CPI rather than wage growth. And as I said, if you could put that policy together, it got portrayed in the media as these guys are going to be mean to beneficiaries and they're just doing it to save money and that's how bad it is. The exact opposite is true. It is to drive an incentive into place to get off the benefit and move into the workforce and do better for yourself. And if you portray it like that, it's got a real positive reason for doing it. That's your reason. That's why you're doing it. But no one's prepared to fight that fight and say why we're doing it. And so it got the media kept saying, oh, well, you know, they, they're beneficiary bashing and they hate beneficiaries and so on. No, quite the opposite. This is a really important policy. But I seem to be able to sell it better than they did, and it was their policy. Yeah, but well, if, you, if you're the, out there doing it, it would have been better. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the problem was, though, the media. I mean, you know, the media were following um, Chris Hipkins, weren't they? And the Labour Party campaign was all about trying to undermine the alternative government. I mean, they had no record to actually campaign on. And they figured that if they could just make the potential government look hopeless or Coalition of chaos. chaotic or whatever, then yep. they'd win by default. And the media followed along like a bloody pack of chooks. You know, it was, uh, I just think it was appalling. Mm -hmm. And, um, right. you know, you asked about campaigns. It, it occurred to me that in retrospect, David Seymour's campaign of putting his policy out right at the beginning of the year when everybody had time to sort of think, you know, because in an election campaign, there's so much going on, you don't really have time to focus. And what David did was he signaled very early on that they had an alternative plan for the country. And I think he got a lot of support back then, and those people stayed with him, which was really interesting that they really didn't shift much at all last night from the early uh, vote. Yep. Okay. Uh, speaking of the small parties and there were those little freedom parties, I think that there was anticipation that they might have been um, cumulatively a bit more supported than they were in the end. What happened there? Well, I'll, I'll go first on that one. The number of new parties and we can make this and we can do this is just legendary and the result is just always such a, and they go out campaigning and people will meet them on the street and say, oh, well, good on you, good luck, and so on. They take that as someone's going to vote for them. It's not. Uh, people don't want to be rude or nasty, or most people don't. And even if you take something like Christ Christianity, you got Graham Lee left the National Party and he got teamed up with the Reverend Graham Capel and they formed this Christian party. And you would expect that Christians, I'm not one, but if you would expect that, they could get 5% and come close. And so that's your problem, that to get over that threshold or to get any sort of numbers, and every one of the little itches and scratches out there or whether he didn't like this or I'm standing for this or I believe in the following, it's just a it's just a waste of time. And you know, Brian Tamaki and his wife thought they were going to do exceedingly well. You, they, I could have, um, well, I did tell people before that we'd be lucky to break the one percent or half a percent or whatever. I mean, I think... and, and then there's the media darlings as well. So the media, for some reason, love top oh. the opportunities party. They got two percent, mm -hmm. right? You know, uh, we we heard Rafe's whatever his name is, it's impossible to say, Monday. claiming he was going to win Ireland. Well, he didn't. Didn't even get close. Uh, we had uh, Matt King saying that he was going to win uh, Northland despite four polls saying he was going to come fourth. Guess where he came? Fourth. right? Our own poll showed that uh, he did that. If you look at the so-called Freedom Parties, NZ Loyal, 26,141 votes. That's quite significantly short of the 2 million votes that uh, Liz <laughs> was claiming. In fact, she said that they could win and get the 5% if everyone in Southland voted for NZ Loyal, right? Well, well, there's 105 electors in 105,000 electors in Southland, and the five percent mark is about 144,000. So she didn't even know the basics of getting that right. But if you add up the NZ Loyal 1.15 uh, percent 
you look at Freedoms NZ, which was the umbrella party for the Outdoors and Freedom Party, Freedoms NZ, Vision New Zealand, 0.31 of a percent. Democracy New Zealand, 0.24. Now, it doesn't sound like a lot, but if those people who voted for those parties had voted for New Zealand first, Winston Peters would be on 9%. And they'd have, a, they'd have 12 MPs. But, Paula, I think that that is the point. You know, the I mean, I, a lot of people ask you, you know, how am I, How do you vote? You know, what, what's the way to do it if you want to support a small party? And what I said to everybody was, look, support them till the very last minute, but when you go into the voting booth, if you know they're not going to make it, in other words, they're going to be under the 5%, which is highly likely, then go to your plan B and give your party vote to a party that actually will make it into parliament. And so you will actually have an influence on the shape of our parliament. And I think a lot of people did that at the last minute. But yes, the delusion that goes on with small parties, I mean, you know, it's just legendary, isn't it? And, And it's quite sad because they buoy themselves up and then on election night, I think they get very disappointed, but they should expect it. You take the new Conservatives, right, the rump of nearly 4% that Colin Craig's Conservatives got back in, I can't even remember now when it was, but back then. 14, I think. 2014, they approached um, New Zealand First and said, we'll merge the party and we've got the board to sign up for it and it's all good and we're going to, you know, get. but what we want is we want number two on the list. Well, I was told... I was told by the person, several of the people that they spoke to to make this happen, when New Zealand First just laughed at them and said, you're demanding number two on the list. You're not going to get anywhere. You haven't got enough. There's not enough votes there. And they said, well, no, no, we, you know, we're really well known. And one of the advisors to New Zealand First told them, well, I don't know who you are. And, uh, and and where did they come? New Conservatives, 3,587 votes, 0.15%. Mm. You know, so there was the leader, Helen Droughton, saying, I want to be number two on the New Zealand First List, displacing Shane Jones with no credibility at all. It, 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 I've des- I described it as these people live on hopium. It's extremely addictive. Um, and what happens, though, is they lose, and what they're now suffering from is copium. Mm. Can, can I just flick back to Ireland for a minute? What so annoyed me was that the media kept saying, Raf Manji's in a really yeah. good chance here. He's got a chance to win this. I was, got a, I was getting a copy of the internal polling there. He was so far off in every one of the internal polls that he actually had to break silence in the last fortnight and say, Nationals should do a deal and let me take the drop their candidate out, mm. and I could then get over the and then bring a whole lot of top, uh, you know, people with me. And I thought, how how can it be both? He's so far ahead and he's going to win this, but I need a deal to get me there because I'm so far behind. Mm. And it was just, I, it's just, how do you play to that? Because so, so the media sort of chose him, right? Yeah. Mm. And the majority, the majority, seven thousand. Mm. Look, 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 let me tell you about comments I've had from the media over the forty years that I've been around. They hate an election where there's a guaranteed outcome in advance. You know, there's a big wave coming, and like in 1990, National just had to show up on the day and was going to bolt home. And the, the media hate that because they don't get eyeballs on screens or eyeballs on column inches in the paper. They love, they love the tension of a close, could be, who knows, keep watching, it's nearly there. And so what they've got to do is find ways of balancing up the, oh, they look like they're going to bolt. National was always going to just take Ireland back without even thinking about it. Oh, we're going to make out it's close. Oh, we're getting down to the wire. Rafe Manchie's putting in another big berth. You go, you guys are just off a planet here. It was yeah, never going to happen. And any of the reporters that reported that way should be taken off television straight they, away. They, they need, most of them, isn't it? <laughs> they, they, need to, yeah. they need to get Daryl Kerrigan to give them a call and tell them that he's dreaming. Mm. Hey, um, we're coming up uh, to time pretty well. Um, Morris, you, you're the numbers guy. You've been sort of running algorithms and all of that. You've told us about that. 
Um, may, maybe um, you can sort of lead off on this, but are there any sort of outlying s- statistical things that have caught your eye um, just in the result of this that uh, make you go, oh, I, well, what, what caught my eye last night was how well National did in the constituencies. The party vote was pretty much, because it's a big blob of the whole country, there's only one electorate for the party vote, and that's called New Zealand. But in the constituencies, you get these unique characteristics based on the p- personality of the person who's currently the MP and whether they've done a good job. When Michael Wood stood against me uh, in Pakaranga, I whooped his ass, even though Labour won the party vote. Okay, and that's because I built up a bit of a reputation as a hardworking local MP, even though Labour won the party vote comfortably. And I beat him twice, by the way, not just. I was the just once. about to say that, Morris. You beat him twice, and then Jamie yeah. Lee Ross beat him as well. Yeah. So that's the that's the issue with regards to uh, the, the this electorate last night. When I saw those numbers coming in, like Tiatatu and New Lynn and Banks Peninsula. And I'm going, you, this is just, this is not right. They've got some mixed up in the computer and they'll fix it up soon. But that was what was unique. And that, of course, that's what's caused National to have almost no one off their list. They're going to get their sitting members in the parliament back, uh, Nicola Willis, Paul Goldsmith, Melissa Lee, Jerry Brownlee. But that's basically it. That's what they're going to, they're going to get not one bit of new blood in, and nor is Labour, by the way, but National had a whole lot of new, bright, shiny objects down their party list, but they just did so well in the constituencies. They blitzed the constituents. There's some key numbers that I found interesting. Uh, everyone talks about um, how th- there was a low turnout. I'm not seeing that. In 2020, uh, it was an 82% turnout, 2.9 million votes. Labor got... Uh, 1.4 million of those. In this election, we're currently sitting at 2.2 million votes. Uh, there's about five to 600,000 special votes. So we're going to be, you know, it's only going to be slightly down on 2020. But Labor's vote is less than half what they had in 2020. Yeah. And that's the story of the election right there. Yeah. Um, what's interesting though is the party vote for national in uh, in 2020 was 738,000, and currently it's sitting at 878,000. Of course, that doesn't include the specials. Uh, and uh, and you know I think you'll see a 35 percent between 35 and 40 on the specials come in for them, which is going to boost them up again. But it's still nowhere near uh, the numbers that Labor had. To, to win a majority. And and that's what I find staggering. And, and, and I'll almost guarantee that the board of the National Party and the senior management and Chris Bishop and Joe DeJoux are all slapping each other on the back, going, well done, we've won, and da-da-da-da. And because they've won, they won't have the necessary rigour to have an election debrief of the campaign and work out how they could have done better. Because... One thing I know about the National Party is that they love the status quo. So when they have their um, their conference next year, the existing board members that are on there will be re-elected because we won an election, and we can't really t- tip somebody off the board if we've won an election. That's what they do. And then the next year, maybe someone will you know retire, and in the third year, they'll go, oh, it's election year, we can't have any changes because they don't like making changes. And when they win, they fail to analyse where they could have done better. And I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. Just um, one thing about um, the changing vote for National. It was very interesting because if you go back to 2017, of course, they won the most seats in the parliament. And then in 2020, it was the landslide to Labour. And there was all this talk about how they lost 300,000 votes. and. Was it four? Yeah, 428,000. Right, okay. And so this time around, it's sort of like, well, did they get them all back? But, of course, um, one of the matters is that ACT 
back in 2017 got 0.5% of the vote. They got like 23,000 seats. Uh, sorry, 23,000 votes. They got 202,000. this time, yeah. So um, when you combine National and ACT, I think they've made back up those numbers, haven't they, and more. Yeah, yeah. and of course New Zealand First got a big chunk, so they're back That's in as right. well. Yeah, yeah. 145,000 currently, mm. you know. Yeah. Okay, so uh, to wrap up, um, any final comments and what are we going to see? Do you think how's it going to shake out? Those special votes are counted. Um, anyone want to? It, uh, I, think I, I think the 61 is going to drop to 60, maybe 59. That way Christopher Luxon will have to uh, be getting some sort of an arrangement. I don't know quite what that will look like with New Zealand First to guarantee stability. Otherwise, you have dreadful instability. What are the options in creating quickly a deal like that? Well, it could be anything from just a confidence and supply arrangement, or it could be uh, a ministerial post outside of cabinet where he's given something that he's really good at, like foreign affairs. Would they do that? Would they give that to him? That keeps him out of the country. They, but they could it? give Casey Costello or Shane Jones something to do with, you know, um, sorting out the Maori issue with Maori affairs and a couple of other things around co-governance. They'd be really I good th- at that. I, I think yeah. there's a whole combination of things that could be done here, and I think they'll go and sort through that. But there's a thing called insurance, and even if they could get their 61 and have a one-seat margin, you just do not want one of your backbenchers to be caught sending dick pics or something like we had down in the South Island. And then he has to- miles. And then you're, and it's all over because your majority's gone with you. So yeah. there's got to be a way of just a bit of insurance policy. And by the way, there's a big chunk of things that Winston is strong on that are pretty much agreed amongst ACT and National. Mm. You know, so they can pick out the bits where there is agreement, get him doing those things or ministers into those slots and allow the Bain Party, National and ACT to get on and do some stuff in other areas. But we'll I see. really do think that if they try they can make a very stable government with all three parties and giving them all um, a role. And that's really what they need to do for the good of the country. And I think they've got to keep that uppermost in their mind. I've always said if we had a true Green Party in New Zealand, we don't have a Green Party, but if we had a Green Party that was saving the planet and worried about pure water and clean air and so on, then it would be worthwhile bringing them in and as giving them in the environment and the conservation portfolio and saying, you know, you get on and put your real work into getting the rivers clean and the air. But uh, right now we've got the biggest communist block of voters in the country live in the <laughs> Green Party. Absolutely. Yeah, many last words? Yeah, look, I, I think uh, Chris Luxon is going to be forced to have to do something with uh, New Zealand First. Uh, I think we do actually need to pause a little bit and wait till those specials come in. Um we don't know what's going to happen with Port Waikato as well. I could see a scenario where there could be a very vigorous fight uh, for Port Waikato. Uh, Andrew Bailey's got a few questions over his own shared declarations and things like that. It might easily be battered away. But, you know, I could see New Zealand First uh, running uh, a campaign in Port Waikato to try and win that. They're very good at winning by-elections. They could say... We need to stiffen the resolve of of the government. We need to keep the ACT Party in check, and that would be a, a very good message to run in a, in a by-election. And, you, and that's exactly how you can run campaigns and by-elections. You can be edgy and do that sort of thing. So everything's kind of up in the air until we see what the specials are. Then we'll have a good general idea of what the lay of the land is. And then there's Port Waikato as well. But, uh, just quickly, Paul, on, on that. Comment. It's worth looking at history. The number of unbelievably wild cards that have been delivered uh, in a by-election. I mean, Tamaki went to a by-election after Muldoon quit. What about who knew her when Winston and a guy, Fitz came to Parliament? A guy, I can't remember his name now, from the Alliance was ahead, Chris somebody rather, and he was ahead until the last week where Helen came and joined up with Ross Armstrong, the National Party chairman, and did a deal to ensure that the alliance didn't win a seat in parliament in Tamaki. And we yeah. had Act, Act came so close to winning Taranaki King Country, King Country. the Bolchester. Yeah. 
Tweet very campaign, close. very yeah, strong campaign, very, very close. A, a good example as well would be something like Timaru when Sir Basil Arthur, the Speaker, died in 1985 or whatever. There's a by-election there. Timaru had never even thought that there was a National Party that existed. And Maurice McTeague won that by-election against a high-profile Labour candidate with a Labour government. And Labour actually just in office and looking popular. So by-elections don't follow the standard trend. Winston winning the far north. Well, he won who knew her as well in a by-election. Correct. They don't follow the trend. They go all over the place. Yeah. So there you it go. Was, it's it all was, exciting. It's not over. It was Chris Leach, uh, Morris. The person Chris Leach, looking. that was his name. You're right. Yeah. And then interesting, too, because uh, Labour had four candidates uh, in there and finally selected Verna Smith, who uh, obviously didn't do well because uh, National selected that dynamic uh, candidate, uh, Clem Simich, to deliver a message to Wellington, although I think the pigeon got lost. Okay. Uh, we we think in the end it was a message in a bottle. All oh, right, it's still, it, floating it float, it's still floating somewhere. It's still floating somewhere. One day someone's going to pick now. that up and they go, "Oh, look, there's a message in here," and they're going to read the words of Clemsonich. All right, guys, um, thank you for coming on our post-election uh, panel this Monday morning. We really appreciate it, uh, Morris Williamson, Muriel Newman, Cam Slater, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thanks. You're thank welcome. You. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.